Captain Picard, priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Am I ready, Roman? Welcome to the Readier Room, the only Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcast with stories from the set itself by the people themselves who were on said set. My name is Mitchell Mills, Chief Consultant Services at Paramount back in the 1980s, and with me is my life partner, Brandon Hobbs. Brandon, how are we doing on this rainy, not yet afternoon? Wonderful as always, Mitch. Ready to talk Trek. Is it, uh, are you doing wonderful because of the rain? No, I'm doing wonderful because of Trek. Ah, oh, yeah. Trek always puts me in a certain Trek mood. Um, yeah, yeah. Easy to stay on track when you're ready for Trek. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think in terms of weather, it goes from from uh, worst to best. Mm-hmm. Rain, mm-hmm. cloudy, mm-hmm. sunny, mm-hmm. Trek. I like it. No, but where does snow fit into the situation? Snow? Snow. We live in California, Mitch. Well, I mean, we can still enjoy snow. Surely you've heard of it. When was the last time you saw snow? Well, I think we watched The Naked Now, which had snow. Like, they they went into, like, a frozen section of, like, another ship, and everything was snowy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. right. That is that is what snow is like. Exactly. It, you does, know, it does just kind of like take on to you, right? Yeah, and you kind of freeze in um, suspended animation. Right, right, right. Yes. Well, yes. That, that's just slightly below Trek, then. Okay, I like it. I like it. I I have a similar weather Trek power rankings. I think I would put Sleet a, high, a little above Trek at the top. Okay. Yeah. 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 See, I, I I do I do appreciate kind of like the the how painful it is. Hmm hmm. Yes. When you're outside and you kind of being bombarded by it. You absolutely feel it. Um yeah. unlike anything else. And uh sleet is definitely more painful than Star Trek Next Generation season one. So uh, it has to win out. <laughs> Only barely though. Only barely. It is close. <laughs> All right, so that will take us to this week's question of the week, which comes from a fan named Sean, who apparently lives in Ireland. Sean says, uh, Top of the morning to you. I'm a big fan of the Readier Room. I've been an OG listener since episode three. Um, I'm also a big fan of podcasting, and I want to start my own podcast about vintage dolls. Uh, My question is, what equipment do you do you use to make your podcast? I think it would be very helpful to know. Ready or yours, Sean. Well, Sean, thank you for sticking with us from the beginning. I know it's been a, a long road uh, to outlast all the other Star Trek The Next Generation rewatch podcasts, but we're here. And, you know, I think that you might be building this up in your mind to be more difficult than it is, uh, making a podcast, that is. You know, we're just a couple of guys. We never worked on, like, the technical end of things that, you know, would would have all this knowledge of audio recording and equipment and stuff. We don't have that knowledge. And we're just probably, in this regard, a regular guy just like you. So we were making the podcast. We're like, oh, we're going to need some microphones. We went off to some of our audio friends, and they gave us, like, the, the microphones they just stopped using after they upgraded to the latest ones. So, you know, pretty good stuff. And um, I think that if you're able to just borrow any equipment, like any kind of you know high-end microphone you can get from somebody, it would probably do you well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously you can't forget about mixing, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> my buddy over there who's a recording engineer, he agreed to help us out by mixing our audio for us. Um, I think it really adds a lot to the show. In, in, in fact, I don't think I would even consider uploading if it wasn't thoroughly mixed right yeah exactly um oh also like editing the podcast together like once once you have um the levels on it it's got to be edited you know you cut out the dead time and stuff um my friend uh was he was able to help us out he's an editor 
Um, if you're trying to use the same stuff that he uses, I think he uses Pro Tools to edit the podcast. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you can just get your hands on a copy of Pro Tools, it would be pretty easy for you. So it's really, really not so difficult, I think, to make a podcast, really, um, if you're trying yeah. and you're really passionate about it. So, you know, don't give up on your dreams, Sean, out there. You want to talk about your vintage dolls? I know you can do it. I know you can do it. And it's pretty yeah. easy to to build a following, too, right? Just reach out to, you know, uh, the community that you fostered at your previous job, and, you know, they'll latch on, and they'll they'll listen to your stuff. Absolutely. I mean, it's it really is just so simple. Um, you know, you upload a couple of videos to YouTube, and before you know it, you're getting thousands of views. Exactly. Exactly. If if and if you're not, it's probably just a lack of effort on your part. So, really, right, right. Just try a little harder, and you'll get it. Yeah. 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 So, I, I I think I think that's um that's a great sentiment. And, you, you know, a, a lot of people do need to hear that too. Exactly. Some people just need the kick in the pants. And for Sean, yeah. I hope this is yeah. yours. Your kick and your pants. Good luck, Sean. Good luck. So that'll take us to today's episode because we'd like to discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation here. And this week is no different. Um, and the title of this week's episode is Coming of Age. I, I got it at the last second. I was really searching Good my job. head to put that together. Good job. What number is it? <sighs> oh, baby. Um, that's got to be like 16 or 17. I was going to say 18. You're, now you're just doing that on purpose. There's no way. No, I swear, I swear to God, it's 18. <laughs> no way. It's got to be 17. <laughs> <laughs> We've consistently aimed one higher. So if you feel like it's strongly 18, then I feel even more strongly that it's 17 okay well it's 17 then all right all right and there's no way that we'll be proven wrong once we finish uh recording of course i mean there is a science to this so exactly exactly um so th- this this episode falls under the subcategory of uh, uh a guy comes aboard the enterprise that everyone has to hate right yeah it, i don't know why um, this is such a, <laughs> a well that is returned to this often but and it almost feels undeserved right has there ever been an admiral where people are like yeah he's a he's a great credit to to the federation (laughs) he's such a pleasure to to work with right right well i mean you know this is one of picard's friends coming on board the enterprise but everyone's still somehow unhappy about everything that's going on picard himself is unhappy he's like "We're, we're good friends tell me what's going on and his friend's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So um, the the entire enterprise is is forced to suspend all operations and jump through hoops uh, just just because this guy thinks there might be a conspiracy. Um, which, when when you go back and watch this episode after knowing what the conspiracy is, it's even worse. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's um. The end, the end of this plot thread. Um, we, we There's been several times where plot good, otherwise good plots have been scuttled by, um, by lackluster climaxes and endings. But this one, I think, is just the most vexing of why did I have to sit through this? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But th- there's, even before that, it just feels like there's always needless antagonism on the part of the people visiting the the enterprise oh yeah absolutely i mean there's there's no reason for them to act the way they're acting um what's uh what's god what's what's the commander's name remick 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 yeah yeah remick remick has no no reason to be acting um is is uh standoffish as he does right he's just in a dick and you know what? It's right. not even it's not even just him. Um <coughs> Picard and Riker get in on it. There's this one part where Picard and Riker are like talking in the ready ready room and Riker's asks, Oh, um, what's going on? Can you tell me? And Picard's like, No, I can't. And Riker's like really frustrated because he's the first officer and he should know everything. Um, right, right. And he leaves the room and then Remick's like, Oh, Riker, I wanna talk to you and Riker's like fuck off i'm gonna storm out of here and he just like Mm -hmm. yells at him for no real reason 
it, I guess the assumption is that Riker's too much of a loose cannon to to respect his superiors. I, I don't know. I don't know. He, he gets very emotional for some reason. Right. And um, it, there's been plenty of times where, you know, maybe later in the series, where characters have those moments where they're kind of being stifled by authority, but they don't just throw temper tantrums. They It right. tends to be more smartly written than that. And yeah, and you would think someone, um, you know, who, who's a commander second on the ship would be a little more, um, you, you know, responsible right. than than to like disrupt an investigation. Um, and and this this actually applies to uh, Remix, I guess you, you might call interrogation of Riker later on, where he's extremely respons- irresponsible, hmm. uh, and um, a kind of. It almost seems like he's trying to obfuscate uh, Picard's involvement with uh, whatever Remick thinks he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he's, he's not cooperative at all. It's like, and he starts off, he's just standing there. He's like, I'm not even going to sit down. And Remick's like, all right, well, right. we'll do this anyway. If you want to stand, we'll do it standing. And Remick's like, all right, I'll sit down. Whatever. Like, <laughs> right, like right, a right. He does, kid. He does the... He does the um, the the alpha kind of leg over the chair thing, um, gets real close to his face, the and kiss. Um, <laughs> almost, almost. And I, I actually have down on my notes Remick. I thought Remick looked familiar, mm. but I guess I guess TNG had this thing where where you know we we consistently hired kind of ineffectual, balding, effete men to play the guest stars. It's weird. Um, it's weird how often the guest stars are balding. <laughs> I don't know if the standards they, they must have changed from under my nose, but um he and they're like not even old guys. They're he's supposed they, they refer to him, I think, as a young man at some point. You know? Um Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought he had been in a previous episode but uh you know i I guess not um i barely remember working with the guy actually but did you know he won um he won an award for for a play he wrote really that he wrote so he's a writer then he wrote uh yeah yeah kentucky cycle yeah huh uh pulitzer yeah he won a pulitzer that's a that's a prestigious award yeah um so, so that was interesting uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, he he was only in this episode in uh, the the penultimate episode of the season, so mm. um, not a lot of time working with him. But a um, lot of a lot of staff shakeups going on with this the the production of this episode. Oh yeah, I know. Um, we we had we had Mike directing, mm. uh, which which was his his first time directing a TNG episode, and his only time actually because. I mean, um, he had some mis- misgivings with the, uh, the director's wheelchair. Right? He, he didn't um, like it when we told him that it was mandatory. It was mandatory, yeah, of course. Um, so he, he didn't come back to Trek until well into DS9's run, if, if I remember correctly. Um, but even more importantly, starting with this episode, we had Maurice finally taking over as showrunner hmm. um, instead of Gene. And I think we'd all kind of been waiting for that, right? Yeah, I mean all the drama um, that Gene caused behind the scenes. It was, uh, it, it yeah, didn't it happen exhausting. a moment too soon. Right, right. So his, it, it, he he didn't he didn't intend to take it over indefinitely. Of course, I mean, um, well, <laughs> publicly. So he'd sent Gene and his wife on vacation to sort of you know try to get the show back on track, right? Mm. Um, what the audience does not know, and I don't know, I don't, I hope I'm not implicating anyone here, right? Um, he'd actually paid a, a pretty hefty sum from the show's budget mm. to to have Gene and his wife assassinated. This wasn't just his um, idea; it was kind of like the collective background right. thoughts that everybody had. Right, right, right. Um, I think. Yeah. I mean, you know, we weren't in on it, but when we had heard of it, I think I think we were we were in agreement, of course, um, that it, that was probably the, the best path to take 
to kind of get the show back on track. Um, but as the audience knows, uh, Gene did not get assassinated. Um, and to this day, no one but Maurice knows why Gene made it back alive. You know, maybe maybe the guy Maurice hired was a Trekkie or something. Um, I don't know. But, that would uh, be a bizarre twist of fate. I, I mean, it's the only thing I could see saving it. Mm. Um, he did come back pretty changed, though. I was happy to to leave the old Gene behind in more ways than one well yeah i mean we didn't have to deal with him as much uh from this point on i guess well i mean only because anytime you put him in a room with lavar he would just kind of break down and uh, you know you couldn't run a show like that right. and we, we couldn't get rid of lavar i mean you know him being what he was all the red tape that would have right. taken to kind of get rid of him right so um so maurice kind of just took the the position well, it kind of worked out for Lavar to be this um, this ward that that kept Gene away. Um, mm -hmm. you, you ask anybody on the set who would you rather be around, uh, Gene or Lavar, and um, pretty pretty clear winner, Lavar. I don't think anybody wanted to work with Gene, whereas Lavar was, you know, inoffensive at best. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. All's well that definitely. ends well. I like to say. Yeah, yeah, it was um, it was a nice change of pace. So we got this um, we got we got this episode about uh, you know after what is this the uh, we we had a little break and then we're dealing with kids again mm. um, after our child centric episode like two episodes ago, right? Right. Um, well, these are like these are was... kids, quote unquote, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> some, well. some of the actors were uh age appropriate um obviously will wheaton is of the right age um i think the the girl that he meets at the exam oleana she looks relatively young young enough to convincingly yeah. play this role um yeah but there's another guy back on the enterprise the guy who inevitably like hijacks a shuttle i think his name's curland who is supposed Curland, yeah. He's supposed to be Wesley's peer. And he looks like I don't know, late twenties? Like a full very full, obviously in his twenties, yeah. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre to to be sold this as a viewer. And it it could have been worse. You know, the first uh, drafts of the script had any time you referred to his father, used the word daddy to to say it. That was extremely awkward once we oh. saw the the actor who had been cast for the role. Um, I think Gene wanted to keep it in, but you know he, he lost on that one. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it it is strange because he there's his pivotal scene. He's in like a shuttle that he hijacked, and it's a disaster, and he's like panicking, and um, he's saying lines that are kind of like how a child would react to um, crisis. You know, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to do this. I'm gonna, it's, I'm gonna die. Like, oh no, I, I, I'm helpless. I can't do anything. And um, it's, it's this, this fully grown man who, you know, stepped out of the the womb of the Enterprise. Um, <laughs> the, the, the whole conceit of that scene is, I appreciated Picard's very cool um, direction there. I, I liked that for Picard. Everything else with that scene was very silly. Um, yeah, I know. don't know what purpose it served, though. Like, okay, we want to we want Picard to impress the guy that's um, investigating him, but as we learn, ever the whole thing of this investigation is because they already really like Picard. So, what 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 <laughs> purpose does this scene serve? Well, see, that's that's another kind of almost a red herring again um in this episode yeah where, you, you can't know. just throw red herrings in every episode right uh, right i mean so so the the whole conceit was we're supposed to be worried because this reflects poorly on picard because his shuttle was unguarded yes. and we think the auditor here is you know has it out for him so um his 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 cool and collected demeanor in directing 
um, Curland to, uh, I guess, skim the atmosphere of this planet somehow is, uh, is supposed to be a win. Sense. Yeah, debatably. But it is supposed to be a win, right? Um, for, for us as the audience, for Picard, kind of, you know, like a, like a fuck you to, to the auditor. But yes, when, when you go back and look at it, having seen the episode, it is kind of silly. Well, the auditor also gets the last laugh within that scene. Because um, they're talking, and he's like, wasn't discipline part of this boy's education? And Picard's like, I'll be sure, or maybe it's Riker, I don't really remember who. Um, there's, I'll be sure to, to remind him of that, you know, in the, the dressing down that he's going to get when he comes back. And then the auditor's like, well, I'll put that in my report. You know, just kind right, of right. persnickety, well, I'm telling on you anyway. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It, to me, it read as him coming out ahead in that situation. Really, I don't know. I I felt like uh, you know Picard kind of grew his balls back and felt good about that whole interaction. I liked it a lot. Um, you liked yes, it a lot. I did. Yeah, I actually really, I really liked that scene. <laughs> really? Wow. I thought it was. Well, I I do agree in retrospect it was silly. I know. Even I, before I, I knew the ending of the episode, I I wasn't really on board for it. Well, Mitch, I guess you're just smarter than me, aren't you? <laughs> well, yes, but. <laughs> It's not. It's not about that. <laughs> um, but really, it was interesting to see Picard deal with authority in this episode, like an authority that he can't really challenge. Right. I think. Um, I think this is the first time that comes up because it comes up I think throughout so. the series. But it um, does. Yes, that is an interesting dynamic. Uh, I. But I'm not a fan of the the temper tantrum throwing childish Riker. It's like, oh, right. I can't do what I want to do. I'm going <laughs> to storm into the elevator. I, I do think, I mean, at this point, we've, we've kind of come to terms with the fact that this is his character, though. I mean, he's hot-headed, and he, uh, he's, he's impulsive, and he, he kind of does what he wants. But so he, it, it does make sense, even though that's not really what Riker becomes, I think, uh, I, once, once the characters kind of get solidified. Going forward. I must be colored by later in the series because to me it it yeah. just sounds or he comes off as artificially hot headed, whereas every time he's made a rash right. decision, I've never once thought like, oh, you know that's Riker. I, I've always just thought, why is Riker of all people doing this explicitly? Um, yeah, and I I, I I just think I'm failing to divorce the later characterization of him from the development in this season only. No, I think that's true, and I think that's that's definitely fair. And it is lazily written. There's no reason for him to be acting that way. Um, there's no reason for him to be uh, doubting Picard in the way he does. You know. So. Right. Yeah, I mean, um, if if he trusts yeah. Picard so much, you would think it would be it would suffice for Picard to say it's like, you know, Riker, I I would tell you, but I'm under explicit orders. My hands are tied. I can't. Um, and Riker probably wouldn't be thrilled about that, but he wouldn't again storm off like a child right yeah 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 exactly like it it does just read as kind of like uh um riker trying to uh you know flex his his power uh, on the ship right which which is not uh very very not trek to me mm. yeah um these kind of um internal not just power struggles, but um, emotional, emotionally driven conflicts um, aren't super science fiction, I think. It's yeah. Like, oh, man, I hate my boss. My boss is such a jerk. Uh, he just he tell, he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't tell me anything. It's like, is, is that the type of storyline we need on Star Trek? <laughs> right right i will say though that one thing i did like about um about the, you know the whole curling bit is i i i do kind of like it when it brings us down to earth just a little bit and you know the idea of not getting into school right the school that you wanted is it's, it's relatable enough and um it's it, it is nice in this series where all this kind of fantastical stuff is happening that you do get um familiar conflicts like this that you can relate to uh and it's 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 really i i guess i guess the difference there is it's really no one's fault right um it's it's kind of just a you know it's 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 your own internal struggle right right i mean that's what uh picard says to 
Wesley Crusher at the end of the episode. Um, but I think that if you if they had written it to frame the relationship of Wesley and Curland, and then also Wesley and the Benzite later on, where both of those two kind of have this um not not it's not like a rivalry with Wesley, but Wesley takes the spot that Curland would have had, and then the Benzite mm-hmm. ultimately takes the spot that Wesley could have had, but he you know he feels broken up about it because of Wesley kind of you know helping him get there and exploring those two similar yet different um uh tracks trajectories that you know Wesley finds himself on through the through the lens of those two different characters might have been an interesting way to approach this episode but the yeah. cur- the curlin stuff ends up feeling vestigial because it's isolated to almost entirely this scene where it's he's only used to establish Picard's competence yeah it absolutely serves um the other plot in this episode. And I don't even know what the A plot and the B plot is here. Yeah, which is which. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's coming of age, and Wesley's probably the one coming of age, not Picard, so... Um, right, so I guess that would be the A plot. What did, what did you think of Wesley in this episode? Because um, I, I appreciated his cool new haircut. Yeah, um, he was hip. Um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't uh, have any problems I, I, with Wesley. Yeah, I thought for being a Wes, I think I might have said this about another episode before, but I think this might be the first Wesley episode that I actually enjoyed. Yeah, it's um Wesley acts pretty naturally. Um, he doesn't just come out of nowhere to save the day when nobody else could, and um, him helping other students that he might be in direct competition with uh, doesn't feel like um. It's there just to, to to show how good of a character he is, but rather it just feels like an organic thing that he would do. Um, yeah, it feels like a part of his character, which is nice. It's nice to see something <laughs> organic right. in terms of Wesley's character. Um, very, very nice. I, um, I liked a lot of the stuff going down on the school. I liked the set. thought it was very cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know why... The, and I wrote this in my notes. I don't know why the Academy apparently selects students via a reality TV show um, where there can be only one winner rather than just taking everybody who is very clearly, um, you know, uh, able to get in. Competent. Competent yeah, I, yeah. I, I wrote a similar thing. How does Starfleet have enough personnel if it's this difficult to get into the Academy? Um, right. They, they compete with, which in groups I assume, of four? At that, at that point... Yeah, not only is it a waste of time in terms of, uh, you know, like selecting, but, you, you know, how, how long does it take to get this through the academy? Two years, yeah. I think? And just, are you kidding me? How do they staff their starships? It's ridiculous. Uh, so I, I did take Umbridge with that, yes. Um, Umbridge has I, been called. <laughs> I have called Umbridge. Um, the, his, his, uh, his competitors, though... Um, let's talk about them because you have the fish guy. I want to talk about the fish guy, the Benzite. Um, that's funny because I want to talk about the other two, but you go ahead about the fish guy. (laughs) Well, I really, I, I, at first I looked at it, the Benzite and I'm like, well, this kind of looks stupid, but, um, I really like the design of that alien, uh, race. And I don't know if they're from the original series. Don't talk to me about the original series. I don't care. Um, but that design is just the addition of that stupid mist thing. It, it just it opens up <laughs> volumes of doors that are like I want to know more. What what is this? It it like it makes sense, but I want to know why. Yeah, yeah, I do. That mist thing was a very very cool little uh, little little flourish, I guess, that the the prop department made at the last minute. Right. Um, it, it just amazing stuff, and it's it's it's. It's incredible the things that happen at the last minute like that. Mm. Uh, it really is, and it just brings the whole thing together. Somebody takes apart um, a humidifier, and uh, Trek history is made. So yeah, suddenly you've got an entire race. Um, yeah, beautiful stuff. I really appreciated that too. Um, the the human girl, however, had no idea what to do with her face the entire time. Terrible actress. Um, 
Yeah, um, I, I, I did write this quote down. It's a good thing you're cute, Wesley, or you could be really obnoxious after he beat her at the test. Right. Um, she sounds like someone you might find on Twitter nowadays. Well, I thought that Wesley got, got done dirty there. Um, he, he wasn't being obnoxious there. She asked him a question. No, he wasn't. She's yeah. like, oh, Wesley, how did you find the answer? And he's like, well, I no, thought no, about no. it. So, and, so, uh... so what she said, what she said was, what she said was, um, to paraphrase, um, you guys are so lucky having it come so easy to you. And Wesley says, it, it doesn't come easy. I had to right. study. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> like I said, this feels like every interaction you have on Twitter nowadays. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> And her delivery of that line, uh, you're lucky you're cute, otherwise you'd be obnoxious. I have no idea what, what emotion she was going for. Um, because it's not scathing. It's not right. It's not mean. It's not even sarcastic. Um, it's, it's kind like, of exasperated. Not even. To me, it's just like uh, lightly positive is how I would describe her, <laughs> her delivery. <laughs> well, I think it needed to be that way in order to... Um... Well, no, it didn't. It didn't. I was going to say... In order to stay within her range as an actress? <laughs> no, in, in order to, uh, you know, facilitate the punchline where Wesley says, did you hear what she said about me? I'm cute, you know? Um, yeah. But it could also have been funny if she was completely scathing and, and horrible to him. Yeah, I, I think uh, that would have been funnier. <laughs> it probably would have been. It probably would have been. Uh, yeah, and, and then, then we get to the, uh, the Vulcan. We have a Vulcan right. in this episode. Trek um, alert. Woo, Vulcan. Woo, Trek fans. Woo. And uh, so the inclusion of the Vulcan in this episode, I um, this this was part of like a, like an advertising campaign. Mm. Um, I guess, you know, to appeal to the core fan base of, of Star Trek. They kind of making Trek the, again. Yeah, yeah. Make it more Trek-like, if you will. Um, so... A few weeks prior to the production of this episode, the marketing team had conducted a, a couple street surveys, right? You know, questions were pretty standard. Um, you know, had, had you seen TNG on TV? Uh, what did you think of the characters? That, that kind of stuff. Standard right? marketing procedure. Usual stuff. Uh, so imagine their surprise when something like 40% of the people who identified as Trek fans uh, had no idea that TNG was at all related to Star Trek. Uh, which is disastrous. Right. It's insane. I mean, the next um, generation of what? What did you think it was? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it, it boggles the mind. But uh, so a couple of the reasons they cited were, uh, you know, obviously the absence of Dr. Spock. Mm -hmm. um, characters not doing the funny hand thing. Right. Um, and, and too much sex. All so, of these things were key to the original series. Or the lack of them right. in the last case. Right, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so being that we couldn't do anything about the last one, um, we felt, you know, the Spock thing's an easy fix, right? Just add pointy ears to one of the extras and make sure she gets in the TV spots. So that's how we ended up with a, uh, a Vulcan in this episode. And um, unsurprisingly, she has very few lines, doesn't really do anything. But she was there, and if you looked at the screen at this time where you tuned in, you would see a Vulcan and you would know it was Star Trek. Right, right, exactly. Um, and uh, our ratings did go up. It was a big success. I think one of the cut scenes that uh, didn't end up making it in the final final cut was um, showing her doing the the Vulcan hand signal. The I don't even know what to call it. You know, the where you have the gap mm -hmm, between mm -hmm, your yeah. fingers. The funny hand thing, as, right. uh, as our audiences. The funny hand thing. It. Yeah, yeah. We did we did intend to include that. I don't know why it got cut. Uh, I mean, obviously, we were not in uh, in the editing department, so we have no idea what really went on there. I um, think at the time it was being confused for like a white power symbol, uh, that gesture. So oh, yeah, yes. it, it would have been more That's controversy right. than it was worth, even if we, you know, everybody knew on set that it was just a uh, that was Star Trek. But you know, public at large at the time, and without social media, you couldn't clear these things up, and the rumors would just spread. Right. Spread. Right. So it is funny how much this kind of stuff escapes you over the years, but yeah, I think that might have been why we didn't have a Vulcan to begin with, right? Because you you have those two things so inextricably linked. It's like oh, I see the Vulcan, I want the funny hand thing. Um, that's mm -hmm. what happens in every audience uh, member's mind. But 
it's at this point where we uh, enough was enough. Uh, we were in such dire straits that we had to break those two apart and um, just have the right, Vulcan. Right. And you know, we do have to note that the Vulcans were all um, white passing, so right. That it, kind of thing, you know, just adds more insult to it. Well, later on, you know, you get to Voyager, and um, there's Tuvok, who is a black Vulcan. Um, and mm-hmm. in that series, he's able to do the gesture because, you know, coming from a black actor, it's very, very clearly not that meaning. So Right. I mean, he's, he's retaking it, you know. Right. Right. Exactly. He's, he's allowed to do it. So and, and you know, th- that that is that is true um, of, of, of all hate symbols. You know, once once the affected group um, retakes it, they're able to, to, to do it. You right. know. Exactly. I'm still waiting for that to happen so we can all walk like an Egyptian again. But um, oh, yeah, one yeah. day. One day. It's coming. It's coming, Mitch. So they have this uh, whole four-person, uh, like I said, reality TV show-esque competition of trials and <laughs> to, to, get, yep. to get into the Academy because there's only one slot. And... It's it starts off with like a series of tests, but then there's like a psychological evaluation where who knows what the hell this is supposed to be because it's mostly just um a very elaborately staged prank that they pull on Wesley. It's like, oh, you th- yeah, and, you um, thought we were dying, <laughs> we're not. <laughs> he's he's very very scared of of. Uh of this evaluation mm. um so much so that he seeks solace in wharf yeah what a bizarre scene that, that we're <laughs> greeted to here because this is the most dialogue that wharf has ever had up till this point and obviously <laughs> you know last week we co- covered michael dorn's efforts to make that happen this is the real fruit of that labor um it's kind of crazy how originally this you know, we mentioned the writers, they wanted to, you know, like, Worf or Michael Dorn so much, they stuck him with the stupid lines. That extended to this, where originally this was going to be a more erotic scene between Worf and Wesley, but, you know, more iterations of the script that eventually got cut down. Now it's a lot of implied right. eroticism that we see on the screen. Right. Right. The, just of the, course, yeah. The chemistry of those two characters. But Worf has multiple lines of dialogue uninterrupted, which regardless of the content by itself is like a significant thing for him. You know? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, I don't even know what the word is, but it, it made, it made me feel uncomfortable, um, to, to hear Worf speak that much in season one here. Right. It's, it, it's like a time portal to season three or five or something. Yeah. 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 It's like we, we jumped forward, uh, <laughs> and I think this is the first time we hear about like Klingon stuff. Um, uh, a key part of yeah. Worf's character is that, and you know, if you're not a diehard fan, you might not know this, but Worf's a Klingon, and his culture comes up very, very often in later seasons. Once you know the writers got more comfortable giving him dialogue and lines and plot threads, um, here we see it for the first time where. Um, Wesley's like, oh, you know, you're a Klingon warrior should be afraid of nothing, right? And then Worf drops some philosophy on him. But yeah, little seeds of what was to come, I think. Yeah, uh, and again, I, I think I think I noted either last episode or the episode before that, but but Worf's absence is is very very felt. Yeah, in the season. And uh, you know his his uh, his his being made a more important character going forward is is much appreciated. I think. <laughs> yeah, Michael certainly appreciated it, but uh, I think the audience <laughs> yeah, does too. No. It's yeah. it, it always yeah. puts me off though to see him wearing a red shirt. Like I can never really accept that. You know, Worf is head yeah, of security. Yeah. That's his job. Yeah, we're not changing exactly. that. Yeah, and uh, you know who, who cares about the other head of security, honestly. Right, right. Whoever that was. Yeah. Um, right. I don't even remember. Right. But Wesley, I love, I love this scene. Um, I really like it. It's I you get Worf, which is great. Um, and Wesley 
is a good foil to Worf. Um, mm-hmm. His innocence and Worf's uh, Worf's propensity to be a mentor. Um, right. Those things work together really well. So yeah, and um, and and then then you get uh, the actual test, right? Where um, Wesley has to pull a man out of a a room that's that's going to be shut off and and it's going to explode or what? I think he, there's like two uh, men, and he can only pull out one. Yeah, because the other guy is too scared to walk for some reason. Right, but I. Th- they're like, oh, Wesley, you have to make a choice because somebody made a choice about your dad and you're afraid you, you could never make that choice. Right, right. Which I think is fine. I think that's a, that's a, a yeah. solid... It makes um, sense. ...element of his character, for sure. And Worf sets it up. He's like, you know, they choose your psychological evaluation by uh, analyzing your psychological profile and finding something that is really relevant and difficult for you. So, you know, that, that checks yeah. out. Um, so solid stuff. I think, I think a lot of the stuff going on um, with, with Wesley's side of the episode is, is pretty good. I mean, um, yeah. you have this little fight with the alien with the webbed fingers or whatever. Well, before we get into that, because I, I, I got to talk about that. I just want to <laughs> say that this psychological evaluation has the funniest moment of the episode to me when um, Wesley's he's talking to his instructor and his instructor is explaining to him like how he did. Um, the mm-hmm. door to the room with the disaster opens, and the guy Wesley thought was dead just kind of walks out, and he's all disheveled. <laughs> and he just gives Wesley like a, like a little nod, like, yeah, nice working with you, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. You, th- you thought I was dead, and you're probably traumatized. Nice working with you. Yeah, he, he does give him a look, which was funny. <laughs> but this, um, this webbed fingers guy, that's another species that looks exactly like humans, but their fingers are webbed. Um... I thought that was a I, conveniently. I thought that was a dream sequence when when, <laughs> when Wesley bumps into him because that character's dialogue is so strange and so bizarre. It's very stupid. Yeah, it's very stupid. I, I but I, he's an alien. He right, and that as it came together, I'm like, okay, I guess. Um, I'm trying to see in my notes <laughs> if I wrote any of his dialogue down. Uh, oh yes, he says like, "You blocked my path." Which is yeah. <laughs> really strange. Um. Yes. Yeah. It. It is. It is cheesy, but I appreciated Wesley kind of standing up for himself. Yeah, but um, he's not even really standing up for himself when you think about it, because he knows that yeah, th- this is what this guy it, yeah. wants to hear. <laughs> he does choose the safe option. If he was really standing up for himself, he would have been very apologetic. Right. <laughs> So did you go through and wow, and pause frame by frame to see if you could see any webbing on that guy's hands? I did not. I'm sure you did, though. No, I didn't. That just occurred no. to me now. Um, I guess we better go check it out because I do not remember that uh, that actor having any webbed hands at all or any prosthetics uh, during filming. So All right, so l- let's go check. I'll, I'll edit out the break, and uh, we'll be right back. And okay. we're back. We're back. All right, yeah, yeah. So we just checked, um, and there was not any webbing on that character's hands. So which is it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's 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 an insult. The, the thing audience, is, though, really. like back at the time, we didn't have high definition, so the audience would not be able to tell without. Uh, yeah, I guess it wouldn't have mattered. It was right. it was one of those things where you you know you consider the cost of it, and it's like, is it really worth it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which speaking of which, I I liked the matte painting. Of of the, uh, the, the the base, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I had like a little just perpetually effect. in love with. Yeah, I love the matte paintings in this show. Yeah, um, I don't I think they were made by somebody named Matt, them. but you know we can call them that. No, 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 no. Um, no, I I mean they're called matte paintings because the the original like like the first one was made by Matt. Oh right, 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 and everybody's so copying his style. His style. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Yeah, um, but I I I love them. Uh, yeah, so it's, I, anytime we. It's a relic of of an old era of filmmaking television. Yeah, you know, and it's it's amazing. It's amazing when you think back, um, watching them on on TV in you know much lower definition. How much better they looked. Hmm. 
um, how, how much more they kind of um, blended in. Whereas now you, you see a matte painting and you know it's a matte painting, but you know they still look pretty decent. They do. I surprisingly. mean, it's now it's more about admiring like the craftsmanship of the painting itself, whereas before it was a, a more of an effect that worked really well in in the show itself. Um, had a certain amount of soul in those those early days. Standard definition. Definitely, definitely. Now it's um, you you might say it's soulless now. Right, right. I would say that. Um, yeah. unfortunate but the it certainly looks nice and that i that whole thing um at the at the school the the tests the psychological evaluation the relationships between wesley and the other three candidates really only two of them um work really well i, I don't really mm. have any complaints about any of that it's it's just really good and the fact that you know they really make you care about Wesley and you're invested in Wesley's story is a win. Yeah. Surprising. Mm. Very surprising. Um, so I guess we, we've kind of uh, talked to death about, about this side of the episode. So let's uh, get back to the enterprise. huh? Well, on the enterprise, we have one of the um, most creative uses of editing I've ever seen in this show. Where <laughs> actually yes, yeah, yes. during the interrogation scenes, mm-hmm. they yeah, it's so it'll show like Remick talking to maybe Worf, then it'll cut back to Remick and he asks another question, which you assume is aimed at Worf, and then it pans over to show somebody else like uh, Riker or Crusher or whatever, and this happens several times in sequence, and it very fluidly um, cuts between all of these different characters getting interrogated, and it's. It's so good. It's really good. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I agree. The editing was very good, and I, I do have to say it. It made me think at this exact moment when you know when they're going over um, all these these previous exploits that we've seen over the course of the series so far. It felt very clip show like. Right. Right. And that's that's what the conception originally was for this this idea. Someone comes on the ship and. Um, because you know they have this pretext of investigating things and they ask everybody about their previous adventures and um inside the interrogation whenever a character would be asked about a previous um incident it would play clips to to show the audience what happened you know gene wanted this mm-hmm. as kind of like a like a victory lap for series 1 so far like look at all this great stuff we did all these great episodes we had like look how great the naked now was um but you know nobody else is really on board with it it, just mostly because nobody thought Gene had earned that kind of thing. Like, Gene, your work was, <laughs> was not this good. Um, right. And, you know, I think it was Maurice who who isolated the uh, the plot thread that set this up and made that its own thing. It's like, all right, well, this is a mm. good idea of some uh, someone coming to investigate the Enterprise crew and... Um, what can we do? Well, we have this this other plot thread of the very first Benzite to join the Starfleet Academy, and let's let's tie these two together to make a make a whole episode. Yeah, yeah, uh, really good work. Um, and I think those scenes were probably the highlight of the episode. They um, were. I, I liked I liked seeing <laughs> I like seeing Worf in that chair. Um, I liked um, I liked Crusher's scene uh, where you know she's she's like it's none of your business, none of your goddamn um, business. Everyone's kind of coming together to you know support the captain, right? Um, and it's it's interesting though because because Remick speaks with every character, um, every member of the crew, um, except except for one, except for one, and that's Tasha Yar. As always. So, um, <laughs> so you know, around this time, um, TNG was kind of starting to become a more, uh, I guess, professional sort of production, right? Mm. Um, and uh, so, so the writers' room was fairly unanimous in the opinion that writing a scene for Denise that that put her up close and personal with the camera would be damaging to the show's reputation, to say the least. Yeah. Um, and you yeah, know, I, I, s- I, s- standard definition can like mask over a, a matte painting but it's not going to protect you from uh denise 
Right. And, and even more so now that we've made the jump to digital, um, you know, that was some good future proofing, I think, on their part. Right. Right. Imagine if we were rewatching it for our rewatch podcast and we had to see high definition on Netflix, you know, just Denise dominating the frame. Wouldn't have worked. Yeah, I, I don't think I can make it through the episode. No, no, no. It's uh, Viewer discretion is advised. Look away. <laughs> um, but so it, it, it turns out that um, Remick and, and his, his admiral here had shut down the entire enterprise for God knows how long um, because um, the, the admiral is a member of QAnon. <laughs> and... Um, thinks there's there's a grand conspiracy right right i i I wasn't quite sure what exactly they were talking about with this it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense in this episode i you know um this does tie into the penultimate episode of of the season um by which point you know i don't want to spoil it for the audience who's watching for the first time um, it, it does kind of clarify a few things, uh, but it also makes the entire thing just so much more stupid. And this thing already um, made itself stupid, by the way. <laughs> the, with yeah, the way yeah, it ends. yeah. So, in, in and of itself, it doesn't make any sense. There's, there's, there's no reason that um, whatever Remick did would have found any proof or evidence that Picard was compromised in any way. Right. I mean, the um, biggest lead that he might have had was asking Data if anything had been falsified, and right. that could have pan, pan, panned out. Because um, Data wouldn't lie about that; it's he's just not programmed to. He literally can't. Mm-hmm. So, like that made sense. But then he's like, "Are you sure, Data?" And Data's like, "Of course I am. <laughs> Why would I fucking lie to you?" Right. Yeah. Um, and at that uh, point. That should have been it. In fact, he should have walked onto the ship and said, Data, can I talk to you? And um, <laughs> spent like five minutes and then concluded his investigation. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah. And, you know, we're treated to the, uh, the, the the possibility of two character departures this episode, right? right. You, you have, um, I almost said Will. You have Wesley... Uh, joining the academy, and you have Picard uh, being offered to become the head of the academy, right? Right. Which could have uh, been is, the academy know, spinoff featuring those two. It, it actually could have been, yeah. You know, in this day and age, it would have been. Right. Uh, it is ridiculous to say, you know, I need friends in high places, and then and then you know make uh, the, the the captain of um, one of the biggest starships in the federation uh, a literal teacher but i think he would be a principal well he'd be a principal but you know whatever um you know were were we ever you know as an audience were we ever um even entertaining the idea that these two characters were going to leave you know no neither of them were named tasha yar so (laughs) yeah you knew starting the episode that Wesley would not make it into the academy, and Picard would not become the head of the academy. Um, which I really cannot stand. I, I like. I don't mind Wesley's thing so much, um, because Wesley kind of um, he demonstrates his worth, and he and he shows his character by helping you know the people yeah. around him, and that that I, I think he was. that's fine. Picard's thing, though, is really dumb because there's that moment where Riker goes into his office and um, he's like, oh, you got a promotion. Congratulations. And then Picard just looks at him and Riker's like, are you not going to take it? And Picard's like, I don't know. I'm going to go for a walk. Um, <laughs> and at that point, it, that's when it crosses into dumb. Picard had just been pretty upfront. It's like, no, of course I can't take it. I, you know, I, right. My work here is too important. And then right. it's not like this 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 question mark that is in exceedingly obvious, but yeah, yeah. I guess that would have been like a solid, you know, this early it would have been a solid character moment where you see Picard cares more about, uh, you know, doing his duty in the way that he thinks he can do it best than than prestige, you know, or 
um, anything like that. So, yeah, I agree. That is where it crosses the line into kind of stupid. Look forward um, to the any... next iteration of this plot point where Picard has to choose to go um, gallivanting with his ex-archaeology professor. Yeah, <laughs> that's like right. Six that's years. Right. I think I think when when you get to the point of like uh, best of both worlds, it it does kind of become like a question mark where it's like you know, um, Patrick Stewart, the Patrick Stewart has been signed onto the show for a few years, and you know maybe he's just grown tired of it, you know. Right. Um, that that's, had the, that's where it starts to become a question. That had the benefit of being a season finale. Um, exactly. Where, where yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe someone's contract is up at this point. I can buy this. Of course. Right. Right. Never does it come to that at no point in the series. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, let's not get too far into that, uh, lest we risk spoiling anything. Um, so so Picard goes on a walk, right, and he goes to see Wesley in the meeting room. Which, what did you think of that scene? Um, I don't have strong feelings about it. I thought it was fine that. Uh, Picard, you know, wasn't like disappointed in Wesley that um, he's giving him this thing. You know, you're just competing against yourself. You know, as long as you'll do better next time and make an improvement, um, I don't think that's so bad. I had the impression that Picard was lying to Wesley about himself failing the first time. He's like, I got to make this kid feel better. Uh, you know, I also failed <laughs> my first uh, exam. Right. 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 Which do do we see anything? I mean, I know we jumped to the past a couple of times in this series. Do we see anything about him in the academy? Yeah, we see. We don't, do we? No, we see him. Um, I think maybe as soon as he's graduated, or maybe he's in his final year. But it's when he gets uh, his heart stabbed, and um, that's right. That's tapestry. right. Yeah. So he's already well in there by yeah. by then. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, it, it it could be canon. It could be not canon. You know. I guess we'll have to check out the uh, the the novels for this, right? Right, right, right. Um, yeah, that would be uh, my first year. Was the name of that one? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. By um, who was that? Was that Sandra? Sandra Stone. Sandra Stone. Right, oh, right. Yeah. yeah, my first year by Sandra. That, that's right. That's right. We're big fans of the Trek cool. novels here. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely go and read those, especially that one. I mean, after this episode, now that you got some context. Right. Um, so one thing in that scene, um, when Picard and Wesley are walking out of the room and Picard says, I have to disappoint an old friend. Yeah. Was that line 80 yard? I think it was. It had to have been. You you don't. Here's a, here's a little television secret for all you guys out there. If you if if a character's back is ever to the to the camera, there's like a ninety five percent chance their dialogue is ADR. <laughs> you can just tell from the audio quality, right? Between you know the previous discussion, <laughs> it's just so obvious, um, and that that really took me out of it. Um, but but also taking me out of this episode was the scene which I believe immediately followed that where they're sending the admiral off and the admiral laughs and says perhaps I see conspiracies everywhere. Yeah, I that's um, it, what confused me the most. That line. So I guess I guess we just upended the entire enterprise for a whole day for no reason. Well, I think I'm like what, I don't I think the conspiracy was the pretext of just all he wanted was to get Picard to be the principal because he's like, oh, I thought you'd be good about the, you'd be good for this job, but I just need to make sure you're on the level. So that's he's an like, interesting way to look at it, right? He's like, there's no real conspiracy. This is just my pretext for evaluating you. Um, and he's like, I see conspiracies everywhere, so I'll find another one on another captain ship, and I'll ask him to do it once I finish evaluating him. That's an interesting way to look at it, and um, I, I would love to accept that 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 is what he meant by all this um if if not for you know the episode that's coming up soon that completely destroys that theory um, that theory but you know if, for all we know i mean obviously we weren't uh we weren't in the writer's room at the time so um for all we know that that could have been what the original intent was yeah and it could have been like oh that's an interesting idea for a plot thread. I'll just use that, even though the context right. was uh, 
was a little off. Um, right, exactly. There's also the the conclusion of Remick's arc where he's like, everybody on this ship's a really good friend, and I want to work here too. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, don't worry, we will see the conclusion of, of Remick's arc soon. Oh, great. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Does he get killed by a tar monster? Well, we'll see. Oh, baby. His name doesn't rhyme with tar, so think of the things that rhyme with Remick, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll figure out what he got killed by. Um, systemic racism? Getting close. Well, we'll get there when we get there. We will, we will. Any final thoughts on this episode? Um, well, uh, good episode, I think. I think it doesn't hit any major snags, actually. No. I think it's one of the more competent episodes this season. I, I love it, actually, uh, compared to the rest of them. <laughs> I disagree in that I think the, the, the scene with the shuttle is a bit of a bit of snag, but that would be the only <laughs> one. Um, everything else kind of kind of works out well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I it's a pretty light episode though. Like I, it, we talked about thematic content in other ones, and I don't think this episode has much of a theme. No, no, it doesn't. Well, you know, it does, but I guess it doesn't really beat you over the head with it. I mean, there's there's that idea of kind of accepting when um things don't really go your way. On, on Wesley's side, because you have, um, you know, his peer who doesn't get in, right. and then he, he, he flies the shuttle out, and then he has to accept the consequences of that and accept that he has to get on with his life in some other way. And mm. then Wesley, who doesn't pass, who has to accept that, you know, he has to continue trying, you know, to get in, basically. To me, I was um, looking more for connections between Picard and Wesley because both of them are kind of yeah. evaluated in this episode. Um, oh, yeah, 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 that's true. But they don't approach it the same way at all and it doesn't play out. They, really they are entirely unrelated. Um, right. Which I think is fine. Yeah, I don't, it, I don't it, think it is. I don't think Trek approaches its peak when when the the A and B plots are unrelated like that, but I don't think it's you know inherently bad. No, um, speaking solely from the search for for thematic content and connections, it's all uh, all I'm saying. Otherwise, right. I think those two things work just fine in isolation. Um, right. So yeah, uh, I don't have this as among my favorite episodes so far but it's like a solid 65th percentile interesting yeah no this this is uh this is up there i think i i think i really like this one well i i should also keep my expectations in check where it's like oh yeah it's a pretty good episode is probably like you know top four season one yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly um all right you ready for my question i am ready for your question I studied, right. you know, um, okay. if you're going to ask me about the, um, the ratio of matter to antimatter, um, I have that one covered. That's the question that they, they ask him. That, that was the question I was going to ask you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Well, hold on. Well, well, what ask, is it? Just, no, just ask me. All right. <laughs> If the matter and antimatter tanks on a galaxy class starship mm -hmm. are nine tenths depleted, calculate the intermix ratio necessary to reach a star base. Okay, so I think that this one's a bit of a hundred years away. Okay. <laughs> at warp factor eight. Eight, huh? So I think this one's a bit of a trick question because if it's matter and antimatter, those must always cancel each other out. So those uh -huh. should exist in a one-to-one -one ratio. <sighs> Must be nice having things come so naturally to you, Mitch. Doesn't come naturally. I had to study for that one. Now, it's a good thing you're huge, Mitch, <laughs> or you can really be obnoxious. <laughs> now, if you want to ask me to align my um my energy grid, that <laughs> might be a bit more difficult for me. <laughs> well, no, you'll tell me first. <laughs> you tell me how to do it first, and I'm getting into the academy. I just, 
I appreciate I, I appreciate the fact that Wesley was both ahead of of the Benzite in doing it, but also slower than him in that <laughs> he couldn't finish it before the other guy who did not. Well, know how you to know, do it's it. like he could have done both at the same time. He could have finished it while telling him how to do it. Like that's not how the brain works. Right, and he is not shown like oh looking away from his console. He's he's still working the entire time he talks to him. Yeah, yeah. Unsubscribed. Terrible episode. Yep, I think okay. that's uh, that's that's the last episode we're watching. Yeah, this is the end of the readier room. <laughs> and until then, everybody, please stay readier. The troublesome little man child. Consider that in the history of many worlds, there have always been disposable creatures. Beginning, 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 beginning.